Welcome back to The Shivering Mouse. I am so excited to have you back here, back on our regular show for the first time in a long, long time. One could say for the first time in forever. We are back on our regular show, which is great. I want to thank all of you podcast listeners who are out there on SoundCloud and other podcast-only services who have not been in tune with the YouTube videos that have been you know, put there to keep you guys up to date. Thank you so much for liking and subscribing during my long hiatus from podcasting. I'm excited. I have a new computer and I am up and running at full steam again. We're going to get back to our regular scheduled programming, which means that every Friday we're going to go ahead and do a Disney attraction or Disney parks um, kind of featurette on different particular attractions. And then every Thursday or Saturday, depending on the amount of research required that week, I will do a Villain's Lair episode for YouTube, so YouTubers will not be left out, and that'll cover a specific Disney villain. Other than that, we have our special patron-only Patreon episodes on Wednesday, which features a story segment from different fairy tales and other classic stories that inspired Disney animated features, and Disney regular movies. So um, that's basically our normal schedule that we had before my computer failure. We're going to be back up and running on all cylinders, and I'm so excited to get a nice routine back again. YouTube is fun, but it takes forever for me to load those videos, and I've got to do something with all this crazy curly hair, and it just... It ends up chaotic, so I'm just glad back to be on familiar territory. Bailey and Oliver are thrilled because having me sit for an hour for a podcast session means that they get to, like, lay and roll all over my lap and lick all over my face, and I don't try to keep them out of the camera shot and stuff as much anymore. So, you know, they like taking advantage of that while I'm a captive audience as well, so it works out great for all of us. And it's especially nice to have those patrons-only episodes for those who really do go the extra distance to make sure that this podcast continues running. I am so grateful to all of them, and I did want to have an extra benefit for them. So thank you so much for sticking with me through all of this hiatus time. Today we're going to cover two attractions because one of them is actually pretty brief, and these are both in Dinoland USA, as you may have guessed from my intro. The first is the Triceratops, oh boy, that's off to a good start, the Triceratops Spin. This is what a lot of people refer to as a Dumbo-like attraction, meaning that, like the original Dumbo, they are basically triceratopses on long sticks coming out of a hub, so the hub-and-spoke system, and you can raise and lower yourself in the air as you rotate around this hub. Um... Very much like the Dumbo Ride, for reference to that, you can check out my episodes on the Magic Kingdom. Disney is really taking advantage of this uh, Dumbo setup. I noticed that there was another Dumbo-like attraction in Toy Story Land last time I visited, so, you know, 
I mean, there's there are several Dumbo-like attractions. So it's a little different from back when I was a kid and you went, and Dumbo was the only Dumbo-like attraction, and so it was a big deal. You know, anytime in the 90s there was a while where all of the celebrities on your local sitcoms and TGIF shows, everybody was going to Disney World. I remember when Steve Urkel went to Disney World and Full House went to Disney World and everybody rode on Dumbo because Dumbo was a super special experience. And so to me, now that I'm an adult, it kind of strips that of its nostalgia by looking back and seeing... Um, Oh, the puppies are wrestling around a little bit there. But looking back and seeing how Disney has now incorporated so many Dumbo-like attractions into the parks, it kind of robs Dumbo of its uniqueness and specialness. And so that does make me a little sad, but but uh, I can kind of see why they would want to uh, expand on that, just because Dumbo when I was a kid at least, was infamous for having a two, three-hour wait. Like, it was one of the longest waits, one of the longest queues on property. And so I can see why they would add similar attractions to kind of stretch that crowd out to different attractions. But at the same time, it just does kind of rob it of its uniqueness and its simplicity as an attraction. The description on Disney Go of Triceratops Spin says, Fly high on a dinosaur around the twirling tin toy top at this delightful carnival-inspired attraction. You can be any height to ride this. As usual, you can have, like, two people per dinosaur, just like in Dumbo. And, uh, yeah, it, it does kind of have that classic feel to it. Very simple attraction, which is why I'm not going to give it a whole lot of time. It is kind of over in the Dinoland USA area, where it does look like it's kind of been pulled out of a carnival like one of those traveling carnivals of questionable safety and put right in the middle of Dinoland. Now, as a kid, part of why I went to Disney so much and part of why we very rarely went to the traveling carnivals that would go through our town is because those rides are put up and taken down and put up and taken down and put up and taken down so frequently and you're never really sure how safe they are, whereas Disney attractions are much more safe. So by saying it's a carnival-like attraction, I wasn't meaning to imply that it has kind of the kind of the risky, you know, the, the where you feel like your life may actually be in danger factor to the Triceratops spin. However, it's just kind of themed along those lines of like a regular carnival. And a lot of people feel that Dino Land USA as a whole does not fit kind of what Walt's vision of Disney Land and Disney World was meant to be. He wanted it to be something above and beyond the normal carnival feel of what was going from town to town in America at the time. He wanted something more sophisticated, something that a family could enjoy together. So a lot of people have a lot of complaints about Dino Land because it kind of harkens back to exactly what Walt didn't want Disney to be. I kind of... I'm sorry, they're fighting over a ball. <laughs> they're making noise over there. I kind of disagree because, first of all, like I said, this is much more sophisticated and less dirty than a normal carnival. It uh, doesn't get taken down and put back together every single day, so it feels a lot more sturdy and safe. But also, if you remember the story of Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama being kind of a way to cash cow the fact that the Dino Institute is there in 
Dinoland USA, you can kind of see why it has this kind of carnival setup. It seems really strange when placed in the middle of the majestic Africa area of, of um, the animal kingdom and the beautiful kind of mystical Asia area and um, the Discovery Island area. And then you have out of nowhere these bright, loud colors and strange music. And it does feel kind of poof, out of nowhere. But if you do pay attention to... Um, Chester and Hester's and the story of you know them kind of just taking advantage of the tourism that has been brought to that area by the Dino Institute, it all starts to make more sense because you understand that the cornier sides of this are from Chester and Hester who are kind of making it like a roadside attraction. They're trying to make it much more comical and ridiculous on purpose. And so um a big portion of Dino Land USA as a land is the conflict between Chester and Hester and the Dino Institute. And this kind of uh, loud, gaudy coloring of the things in Dino Land USA contrasting with the very kind of beige, <laughs> vanilla look of everything at the Dino Institute that is all very sterile, it's meant to be a deliberate contrast. And it's pretty comical once you understand the whole storyline behind it. The other one I want to cover today goes along with that, and that is the Primeval Whirl. This is kind of a Mad Mouse-style coaster. The description reads as follows. Zip through a zany time machine and embark on a spinning dinosaur-themed coaster ride. For this one, you do have to be 48 inches or taller, just like most other kind of thrill-based attractions. I know this isn't a super intense coaster, but there is a lot of moving, shaking, spinning, dropping, climbing, and therefore it is kind of put in that same category where they want you to be a specific height. You have to be able to transfer from your wheelchair or ECV into the ride vehicle. I do want to say right away, like most Mad Mouse style coasters, this one is kind of jerky, but... Just be aware that, you know, unless you're suffering from some kind of arthritis or fibromyalgia, it really shouldn't be too painful. There are some warnings about, you know, being careful if you have like a back or neck injury, something that could be irritated by the jerky movements. But other than that, it's pretty fun. Um, you're in your little round coaster car and unlike a regular coaster where you just kind of ride along along the track, the um, primeval world does kind of spin as you go on it. So you'll see some people spin pretty quickly. Some people just kind of slowly turn about. Um, it's not really controllable the way the spinning on the mad teacups are, where you can kind of influence how quickly you're spinning. In the case of Primeval Whirl, it is kind of gravity-directed spinning for your individual ride vehicle. So, you, you know, it kind of depends on how the weight is dispersed within your cart if you have all of the... Uh, heavier hitters on one side and then you're going to spin one way as opposed to if the weight within your cart is a little more evenly dispersed then your vehicle will spin a different way so it's kind of fun in that um you know the attraction can be a little different depending on who's riding how at the time and so that's pretty fun this one though the most fun part of it to me you know that i personally am obsessed I'm obsessed with Disney stories and Disney storytelling. So to me, this goes back to what I was just talking about with Chester and Hester's. The primeval world is essentially they're trying to mock the entire dinosaur attraction. So you know, when we covered it a few weeks ago on the dinosaur attraction, you go back in time, you're racing against the clock to try and get this last dinosaur 
back to our time before the asteroid hits. Well, if you ride the primeval world, you'll notice that it has that exact same story. Except, you know, in this more exposed track roller coaster, Mad Mouse fashion, where the story is revealed in kind of what looks like cardboard cutout caricatures of kind of mad science scientist-looking guys, and all of the dinosaurs are kind of cartoonish and silly-looking. So basically, this entire attraction is kind of lampooning the actual dinosaur attraction. This is Chester and Hester and their kind of friends and the people on their side of the whole Institute versus Chester and Hester argument. This is them poking fun at the Dino Institute. And so it's all really just spoofing on everything you just rode over in Dinosaur. And that gives so much more to this attraction, honestly, because without that little bit of story of knowing that Chester and Hester are just kind of picking on the Dino Institute people and just kind of making light of all of the incredible research they're doing. And uh, if you're not paying attention to that part of it, then you just think that this is a really tacky coaster plumped in the middle of an otherwise beautiful park. But when you realize that it's tacky deliberately to make fun of the other people and it's meant to be kind of a cheap roadside attraction to pull the tourism away from the Dino Institute, I don't know, I just feel like that adds to the attraction because it's almost like Disney making fun of themselves. Because Disney, after all, is kind of a giant tourist attraction. And they do, frankly, try to cash in on their audience in every possible way. That's part of why so many rides end with you exiting your ride vehicle into a gift shop, right? I mean, that is not lost upon most guests. And so I think this is almost, while it's meant to be Chester and Hester poking fun at the Dino Institute, it's also kind of Disney poking fun at itself because they're very self-aware of the fact that they're taking advantage of the tourists that come down there to try and gain more income from it and sell a product. And so to me, this entire attraction, as cheesy as it is, and as much as it looks like kind of cardboard cutouts of the exact same story from the dinosaur attraction, it is in many ways not only Chester and Hester making fun of the serious snooty stuffed shirts at the Dino Institute, but in some ways it's kind of tongue-in-cheek Disney making fun of themselves. And that makes this attraction so hilarious to me. And the more you read into it, the more you see how kind of the interns like Grant Seeker are kind of in the middle of this fight between Chester and Hester and the Dino Institute. It kind of makes me wonder if maybe one of them was responsible for leaking this mission to Chester and Hester, you know, and that's how they were able to do this exact same story on this attraction. And you just, you wonder where it all comes from. And it's, it's so funny to see and you see different notices posted throughout dino land of like the professors kind of discouraging their interns from going over to chester and hester's but chester and hester is kind of the fun local place and so there's just kind of the interns are kind of where these two diametrically opposed areas collide and uh the roller coaster um primeval world just kind of emphasizes the struggle that the locals along with chester and hester are having with this institute coming in and kind of taking over their place in the name of doing this archaeological dig and uh, kind of pushing everybody out of town. And this is Chester and Hester not only trying to fight back, but to profit off from it by turning their humble gas station 
into a gift shop and a roller coaster and kind of these carnival attractions. And I, I love that it's kind of lampooned here. And like I said, that there is some self-aware Disney-ness into it too. I don't know. It just makes me happy. I kind of adore this attraction. So that was a little shorter than I wanted it to be, but it is our first one back. I've got to get back into the groove of talking long form to you guys. And these particular attractions, while funny, did not have the longest backstory. It's not like the Haunted Mansion or the Pirates where there's this long, deep history stemming back to Disneyland. These are all as new as 1998, so they don't have that kind of history where Walt himself was tied into the attraction and the Sherman brothers wrote the music and all of that kind of thing. So it is a little bit, you know, less to dig into there. It is pretty straightforward as long as you know the story of Chester and Hester, then you kind of have the backstory that goes in this attraction. It's, it's hilarious, but it's, there's not really that same depth there. You know, it's not tied into the society of adventurers or, and explorers or anything like that. It's just kind of a rivalry with the uh, kind of the hometown people versus the academic tourists and it really kind of reaches its pinnacle, pinnacle there on Primeval World. If you like the show and you want to keep it going, definitely contact me at patreon.com slash shiveringmouse where you can become one of my patrons for as little as $1 a month. You can join and uh, have access to our special Wednesday episodes where we explore different famous stories that are in the Disney pantheon and kind of how the original story is versus the Disney version. And often when I have the books available, I'll go ahead and actually read the original version of the story versus the Disney version. And it's just kind of fun to go through that together. You can also check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. I'm on there regularly, especially Facebook. You can listen in on SoundCloud and almost any other podcast now. Thanks to the Anchor app, I'm able to disperse my program to lots of different podcast apps. So that way we can keep reaching out to more and more people. And I am so grateful to you for tuning in today and so excited to be back in our regular format and where we can just talk me and you and the two puppies. Thank you so much for tuning in and for putting up with the puppy growling and wrestling that has happened this entire episode. And you have a wonderful week.